1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 18. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or dead, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, will, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So on Slack, if you're on Slack, then I, I encourage you to engage. If you're not on Slack, then you can actually go to promisechurch.community. The, the yellow Get Connected button will get you on Slack as fast as we can. Um, but if you're on Slack, here's our question for you. When was the last time you had a conversation about the return of Jesus? When was the last time you had a conversation about the return of Jesus? We must not ignore the importance of verse 18. Verse 18 says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. So when was the last time you had a conversation about the return of Jesus? We need to put our understanding of the end times into the core of our faith. We actually need to put this at the center point, at the core of our faith. Because if we don't, there are consequences for how we live out our faith, how we understand our faith. So my New Testament theology professor taught us that eschatology, last week we learned that word is the study of the end things, eschatology is the core of Christian faith. It is the breaking in of the kingdom of God and it's the central story of the entire New Testament. It is the culmination of the entire Old Testament. And it is the central hope of the Christian. Eschatology is about God's victory that's being guaranteed. But we're waiting for God to seal it and remove all other claims. Even in the face of the great evils happening around us, God's victory remains. There are lots of false claims to victory. A ton of false claims to victory. But the true way is Jesus who comes and returns and makes all things right and lives with us. And if you've been with us as a church for a long time, you know that that's part of our vision statement. To show the world that God has come to make all things right and to live with us. We're a community that shows that. And so this is what Jesus has promised. It's what he's going to do. So if you've been a Christian for more than 20 years, you've been taught to fear the end times. There are scary stories around the end times. There are paranormal stories around the end times. 
We have been taught to allow God to do whatever God's going to do. Don't worry your little head about it at all. To focus on what Jesus has done in the past, like Jesus on the cross. Don't worry about what, is, what God's going to do back in, in the future, you know. Don't worry, don't think about that. That's what we've been taught in our church culture lots of times, especially over the past 20 years because, because there's this reaction about people trying to figure it all out. We had lots of questions last week about stuff like this. You know, people used to say like, oh, I'm a pantheist, meaning that, you know, it's going to pan out the way that God wants it to. It's not what pantheism means, but whatever. So when was the last time you had a conversation about Jesus? Some people, uh, someone said that within the past few months, uh, one had one with a with somebody, uh, with a pastor at our church, someone said, someone put a date on it and said, with Pastor Rob at Starbucks on Holland Street. Um, it's true. Uh, this morning with Noah, last week some point, every day, Hannah, Hannah reminds me, uh, we're one day closer to being with Jesus. That's so cool. Um, someone says, I almost never talk about the end times. There are practical realities that need discussion, it seems to me, so I'm willing to look for opportunities to introduce the subject. Someone said, oh, it's turn or burn, right on. Um, talk about them in context of discussions around the broken and evil in the world. Right, so the practice that some of us have had of avoiding end times, and I heard it on Slack last week, a bunch of people saying, oh, I don't talk about the end times because it doesn't have any practical purpose. And, and I'm going to suggest that that goes against verse 18 of, a ver of our verse. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So it begs our next question for Slack. What is so encouraging about the return of Jesus? What is so encouraging about our return of Jesus? The eternal hope for the Christian. We do not want you to be uninformed brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. Paul wants us to encourage each other with hope. Paul wants us to be informed. See, we go to funerals, and we try to hear words that, that attempt to bring comfort. And in our grief, we hear words of this hope. But the problem is, inside of the Christian context, if that's the only time we hear these words of hope, we actually program ourselves to disbelieve them. Because instead of hearing words of hope that I've held on to to get me through my day today, we're hearing words of hope that seem to be contrived only to confront the immediacy of death. And so they feel empty, far off. Because we associate these words only with our grief. So today, in a space where the majority of our community is not grieving, some of our community are, but outside of the context of a funeral, we need to speak about our hope. 
Because then we're able to say, this is true when I am in a good place, and it is true when I am in a grieving place. That the grief that I feel does not change the reality that I know, that I know, that I know, that in good times and in bad times, my hope is in the return of Jesus Christ, in the resurrection of the dead. Sorry, I'm preaching, let me get back. Do we train ourselves to actually disbelieve what we're saying when we only say things that might be nice, but who knows if they're really true? So we must encourage each other with the truth that we have all the time. All the time. Encourage each other. See, Today, in the context of hope, I want to speak about the eternal hope for the Christian because there's a distinct difference in the Christian hope. A distinct and unique hope that penetrates even the darkest of times. The biblical language distinguishes between the spirit and the flesh. The biblical language gives us a, a perspective that is different than the rest of the world. The hope that's distinctly distinct from other hopes is unique in Christianity, and we're going to start to flesh that out today. So what is encouraging about the return of Jesus? Eternal life. No more tears, no more pain, no more death, no more sorrow. Triumph over death. The hope is what we're waiting for. It's the end of pain and suffering. Our hope, uh, is it not our goal in the end anyway, whatever the end of the world or not in the end of the world? So it, it's, it's where we look at this and we say our hope is, is in what God will do. That's not an ultimate end. It is an end of evil and the beginning of a new age. For all, we hope for all the goodnesses in his promises. To be with Jesus. The promise of overcoming. To be with God and Jesus. And I get to see Papa. And randomly someone hopes that there's bacon in heaven. But we know according to Torah there is no bacon in heaven. I just enjoyed that way too much. Okay, so let's look at the biblical hope of resurrection. The biblical hope of resurrection are, according to our text, for those who are in Christ Jesus. According to our text, the dead in Christ will rise first. I'm going to highlight something that might be a little bit controversial here. There's no promise of eternal life for those who are not in Christ. See, the worst has happened, death. The greatest weapon, go back last, last week, two weeks ago, sorry, Easter Sunday, you go, you go back and you say, you say the worst has happened, death, we are bereft. The message that Paul gives in the face of the finitude of all things falling apart is, the dead in Christ will rise first to meet with Jesus. It doesn't say everyone will rise first to meet with Jesus. The hope in the Christian message is a hope for those who are in Christ. 
We have to be sure that we believe these things even outside the context of funerals. We must be sharp. We must realize that the, as a Christian, we actually believe in eternal life for those who are in Christ. John 3.16, one of the most famous verses quoted in North American Christianity today. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but we'll have everlasting life. So we focus on the eternal life part, but we miss the condition for eternal life. Whoever believes in him. Why? Because Jesus is the one who overcame death. He's the one that disarmed the greatest enemy, the greatest weapon of the enemy. He's the one that took care of it. So he's the one and the only one who leads to eternal life. Because you know what? I didn't beat death. Up to this point, I've evaded it. But I haven't defeated it. Jesus did. It only makes logical sense to have a hope for resurrection from somebody who's already accomplished it. So the Christian hope is unique that eternal life is found only in Jesus. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed for a man to die, and after that comes judgment. And we, we read in the cultural explanations of eternal life that's in, that's in hell with the other part here. So think of, okay, so story time. I'm driving, and this is an Aaliyah and me story. It's a Wednesday. We get to spend Wednesdays together. And uh, we're driving towards Newmarket, and it was really, really hot last week. And so windows down, partying like it's 1999. And uh, we're just, we're having fun and laughing and talking. And a big, mean, nasty, orange Harley machine comes by. Really, really loud. And you know, to be able to listen to music in your big, mean, orange Harley, you got to have your stereo just jacked. So it is jacked, and, and Aliyah and I are having fun in our Jeep windows down because we're cool like that, and the big Harley comes alongside, and it's got its music jacked, and ACDC's playing full on, <laughs> highway to hell, and my daughter's brain just explodes a little bit. <laughs> like, Why? Why? Why would anybody want to do that? I'm like, look, it's a satire. It's a push against moralism. It's, it's all I'm explaining it to her. She's like, I don't get it. I'm like, Jesus said, narrow is the road that leads to heaven, and broad is the road, the highway that leads to hell. And yeah, okay, so she's like, why would we want to do that? So as a good Christian pastoral parent, I pull, oh, we park, and I, I pull out my iPhone, and I pull up ACDC's Highway to Hell, and I blast it in, and I turn it up really loud. And so we're rocking out to Highway to Hell in the Jeep in the mall parking lot. But I've got the lyrics app up, and the lyrics are telling me. We're, we're reading the lyrics together. And the idea... That, that I want to go there because all the partiers are going to be there and we're going to party all life long and we don't want to follow all these rules and we, we're sick of being told what to do. We want to do whatever we want to do and this is the life that we want, the highway to hell. Oh, you think this is going to be fun. 
Interesting. Okay, so where did this come from? Why are we looking at hell like this? So, someone just said, welcome to Keswick. <laughs> we, were, we weren't in Keswick. Someone else just said, before I, before I move on, I'm going to break this down for us in a minute, but I said, someone said, I think this makes me realize some of the concern, at least I have, with the end time, and related question of the last week about whether one hopes or fears of the end time. It's a nagging voice in the back of my head saying, what if you don't make the cut? What if you're not good enough for heaven? What if you don't believe enough? So as a bit of testimony, that's something I struggle with and focus my faith in growing on and accepting I am good enough and believe in Jesus' love for me. And, and you, you nailed it right there. This is what the fear is. What if I'm not good enough? What if I didn't do enough? What if God rejects me? The gift of God is eternal life. Look, I'm going to break down some first century views of, of how we saw this and, and how we got to where we are because there is definitely some, some confusion going on here. So watch this first century Jewish belief. God is going to resurrect everyone who has died who's been faithful to Torah. That is a first century Pharisees' Jewish belief. They believed in the resurrection, a bodily resurrection, and the way you are resurrected is by being good enough to Torah. If you're faithful to Torah, you will be vindicated in the end, regardless of the struggling that you face, you'll be vindicated, you will live eternally. Secondary first century Jewish belief is a Sadducees' belief. Here's what they believed. The promises of eternal life are for the nation of Israel. You live once, you die once, you're dead and gone. That is a first century Jewish belief in the Sadducees. You live once, you die once, you're dead and gone. They did not believe in the resurrection. It's explicit in first century studying. First century Christian belief. Listen to how it varies slightly from the Jewish belief. God will resurrect everybody who puts their faith in Jesus because Jesus, two things, Jesus was the, the, sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb. They developed that towards the end of the first century, the understanding of it, the, the connections in it. But because Jesus was faithful to Torah, the resurrection of Jesus proved that he was Lord and Christ, Acts 2. So the Christian belief says that the resurrection of Jesus is what makes him the one who brings all to eternal life who believe in him. But there's another belief at play that really affects our thinking today. The Greek thought, by the time we're in the first century, the Greek belief was that all human spirits are immortal. Plain, simple fact. This is a Greek thought from Plato. They say Socrates originated it, but Plato writes extensively about it. And Plato says that all human spirits 
live forever in an ethereal spiritual plane. They will live in Hades, most of them, or in the Elysium fields. Hades is very close to the description of what ACDC is, is singing about. It's that place where you're suffering, but you're together, and you're working stuff through. It's the other side of the river sticks, and, and it's got some orange glow due to, you know, obscure fires, and it's dark. It's in the underworld. And so, so the Greek belief is eternal life for all. And the Christian and the Jewish belief wasn't necessarily there. Slack question, which belief did you grow up understanding? What belief did you grow up with? What did you, what did you assume about life and eternal life? Paul says, I want to encourage you with, with these words. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For we declare to you by word from the Lord that those who are alive, who are left at the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. Yeah, things have gone dark. Like last week's verse, where there are wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters, but we have a hope for eternal life with Jesus because Jesus fulfilled the condition of Torah and stood in as our atoning sacrifice. He overcame death and here's the important thing. Jesus is returning. It's who are left until the coming of the Lord. When our faith doesn't speak about the soon coming of our king, this is what we have left. We're stuck. We're stuck with a shell of our faith. See, if Jesus just arose from the dead and then ascended up into heaven to leave us alone for us to try to figure it out according to his example, then we are stuck with trying to be good enough, like that post from Slack said. We're stuck with trying to be good enough in our moralism and our attempt to try so that we could get into heaven. We're hopeless and we should despair, but John's John wrote that Jesus said, John 14 and 18, I will never leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Our hope is grounded in Jesus' return. I will come to you. I will come to you. Jesus will return as the king who will bring eternal life as his reward. Notice, not the default. It's the reward. It's not the normal. I, I don't know if you've noticed, eternal life is not what we normally experience. But Jesus brings eternal life. Um, so the Bible, so last week somebody asked about hell. This is where I have to address it right here. I know, let's go. Um, so what of hell? It, it, I'll tell you one thing. It's not the way that ACDC put it. It's not the spiritual Hades. I'm going to give it to you in these words. Hell is no life 
to be lived. I mean that literally. I mean that figuratively. I mean that on every plane I can think of, hell is no life to be lived. You don't get to live hell. It's the wrong word for it. It's the wrong way of thinking about it. Eternal life is the gift of God. We live eternal life for those of us who put our faith in Jesus. Hell is no life to be lived. Before I became a Christian, I, I believed, this is going back to the question, what, what, did, you, what did you believe about, about uh, when you grew up? Before I became a Christian, I believed that everyone was saved by Jesus' death, but it wasn't personal. Someone said, as a Catholic upbringing, heaven was up in the sky and, and a fiery hell. I was convinced that I was going to hell and that I couldn't keep up. I grew up with the understanding that if you believe in God, you'll spend eternity eating Philadelphia cream cheese. <laughs> I grew up believing if you just be a good person and do good deeds, you're going to go to heaven. This spiritual plane, non-connected to any form of reality, just floating. Heaven. What? The Bible says that Jesus is returning. Look at this, and I'm going to push us a little bit late today, but we have to get through this. This is good. This is good. Someone else says, I grew up Catholic too. It was hard to keep up. So many rules. I can never meet the qualifications to have eternal life. The controversy of the rapture here. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first, and those who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. That's our hope. We'll always be with the Lord. But there's a mechanism here that we're like, oh, wait, what? That was weird. What's that? What's that? So it's called the rapture. What have you heard about the return of Jesus? What have you heard about the return of Jesus? See, this text has been used to prop up a, a, a story, a theory called the, that we now just call the rapture. Uh, the rapture comes from the word caught up here. Um, this rapture idea is taken predominantly from this verse and it's combined with a few other verses to show heaven and Jesus' return as the great escape from, from this damned earth. Literally, I'm not swearing, this damned earth. And it's a great escape where we just all become spirits in the sky. Oh, we heard a song written about that. I believe it's called Spirit in the Sky. If you don't know it, Spotify it. We, we, oh look, they became air and they're going to live forever. No, this is not what this is about. This narrative says God ultimately loses earth and so he removes the faithful and then he destroys the complacent and evil and wicked people. It's been pretty dominant for the past 50 years. So what have you heard about the return of Jesus? Someone asked is, if it's possible to be alive in hell but not really life. How do we know what it means to really live on earth? Those are two really good questions. Um, is it possible to be alive in hell, but it's not really life? 
I'm going to say alive is maybe a stretch of a word, and there's some theory there, but it is definitely not really a life. You know? And how do we know what it means to really live on earth? John 10.10 says, says, the devil came to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that you would have life and have it to the full. The way to know life is to know Jesus. Someone said, uh, I heard that Jesus will return when all hope is lost, and that's definitely one of the prophetic stations we talked about last week. Someone said, will there ever be... Uh, will there ever be too many people that there won't be any room left in heaven for more believers? No, there will not. There's always room. Someone said that my belief has been to believe in Jesus Christ and then you die, but, clear, but clearly your death so that you can live in heaven if you're dead, right? So uh, this is where the spirits come in. Your spirit goes up to heaven and that's how you live in the kingdom of God, but only if you accept Jesus as your savior. And, and this is where we're going. This is what makes it different. To this person here, pay attention to these next words because it's not actually about leaving. Listen to this. Listen to this. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then those of us who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. I want you to consider it. I don't have time to get to it. Exodus 19, 16 to 20. It's the story. Please mark it down. Read it afterwards. Or somebody could post it here in Slack. Um, Exodus 19, 16 to 20. That... God is making a public appearance to all of Israel at Mount Sinai. And guess what? There's fire, there's cloud, there's a cry, and there are trumpets. The joining of God in Mount Sinai is reflected in this first Thess Thessalonians 4 chapter that God is joining with us. But get this, N.T. Wright's been studying first century Judaism and Roman customs, and he teaches how this language can be understood in a comprehensive yet powerful way. So let me just go through this. He suggests that the image is directly related to the returning, conquering king. In the world of empires, the safest, most powerful place to be is in the center of the empire. And the war is on the borders. And the king would travel to the borders and expand the territory of the empire or the kingdom. And when the battles were won, the king or the anointed one or the Messiah, different languages using the same idea, would send messengers or angels or anglos with the good news or the gospel of the king's victory proclaiming peace or shalom to the empire. Look at the layers here. A king with a message that's a gospel proclaiming victory and peace and the people would be caught up in celebratory rapture and go and meet the emperor on the return. Proclaiming victory. This is the image that Paul is reaching on and combining it with Exodus 19 and saying, God is coming. Jesus went up in the air. That's how he ascended. He's returning that way, and we will meet him in his return of victory here 
on earth. God establishes his kingdom here. He comes and he says, yes, I have come back. I am fixing everything. I have restored all things. I will come and I will rule here on earth for a new heaven and a new earth and a new age will be here and you will live eternally with God because of your belief in Jesus Christ and you will be in this kingdom you've been invited in by the person of Jesus Christ and that is the hope that we're to encourage each other with that is the story of Christianity you can't do the hope of Christianity and base it only on the cross of your sins you have to do Jesus forgave you of your sins so that the kingdom of God happens here in all of its glory. That's the way we have to be teaching the gospel. When we anchor it only in the past, we have an introspective, moralistic religion. But when we put it in the future, we say, God is coming. Jesus is returning. That's what we hope for the soon-coming king. We don't serve a king who's leading a retreat, people, but a king who's returning victorious. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. Somebody just asked, what's the study we did a couple years ago at Promise about heaven? Uh, it's, it's actually called Heaven. It's by N.T. Wright. It's a, twin, it's a 12-week curriculum on it. Really, really good. He wrote about it in his book called Surprised by Hope. If anybody wants a really good book to read, N.T. Wright, Surprised by Hope. Great reading. Therefore, encouragement is what we strongly believe that God has gifted us all who believe in Jesus with eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, you will live eternally with the reigning victorious Jesus If you did not believe in Jesus, you will, according to John 3.16, perish. Five instances of revelation I don't have time to get into. You will experience second death as your eternal judgment. It's not because of, oh, oh, this is really petty. This is actually because Jesus is the only one who can give you eternal life. It just is that. There's no other mechanism. There's no other way that you're going to live eternally. So there's hope for you who are oppressed. Jesus offers hope. Eternal life is clearly the gift of God. So we need to invite other people into a hope that they have no access to. Christians, the people who do not know Jesus have no access to this hope until we allow them to see access to this hope. That's the way it is. They just don't have access. It's not a default thing. It's not moralism. You're not getting judged on your works. Thank God. Thank God. The encouragement is we have Jesus who's going to return as the victor. Somebody says, I've heard that Christ's return is about bringing his kingdom to earth. It is. Someone said, I remember my pastor preaching a funeral sermon and using spirit in the sky as the main text. Sorry, I didn't wince. Okay. The call for us is to recognize that we're to encourage each other with the hope of Jesus. 
Let's bring it in. What's it going to be like when God lives with us and makes everything right? What are the warnings that we need to heed today? Recognizing that, hey, my belief in Jesus won't allow me to continue down this path because I want to be foreshadowing what it looks like when Jesus comes and makes everything right. What are the comforts that, need, that we need to remind ourselves of today? If you have not yet been baptized, this is what it is. You stand as a person who says, I believe in Jesus. You experience death. And by the power and the Spirit of God, you rise out of the chaos of death and you stand at the beginning of your eternal life. This is what baptism is. From death to life. So if you have not been baptized, if you have not yet said, yes, Jesus, I put my life-altering faith in you, I encourage you to do that. And if you have not been baptized, you need to go to promisechurch.community and you need to register for baptism because we have a baptism service coming up on June 18th. It's going to be warm out by the grace of God. And we're going to baptize people from death to life. This is the gospel. So that when you are at a funeral for somebody who believed in Jesus, you do not grieve as those who have no hope but as ones who know that there is eternal life. And it's not just said to make you feel better. It's core to our faith. Jesus is returning, and he has conquered death. Okay, let me pray. God, I thank you for this congregation. And Jesus, I know that we oftentimes don't think deeply about your death and return, and I know that I just took us through half an hour of of, of discovery. But God, there's so much more. There's so much more. Open our eyes to the complexity and the beauty of your story. Let us not be content with, with just being simple and saying, oh yeah, God's going to just work it out. I just don't have to think about it at all. But let us engage our hearts and our minds on it so that we can get the gravity of the hope that we have because it is great hope. Jesus, I thank you that you have given us the gift of eternal life. I thank you that you have implanted that by your spirit into each one of us who believe in you as Lord. And so, Jesus, I pray that you will be glorified in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.